The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined by my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Not too much, man. Uh, playoffs, hockey's returning tomorrow, basketball in a couple weeks, football's in full swing, October's the best month of the year. Let's go. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. As you know, this is Know the score. We can be found on CSPN.us on the web. We can also be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. Dwayne, we're going to start off with college football this week as uh-huh. the biggest game of the week took place in Happy Valley. But unfortunately, the fans of Penn State went home sad. They were happy for most of the game, but Dwayne Haskins throws two fourth-quarter touchdowns. Ohio State passed Penn State 27-26 to in Happy Valley. So Ohio State really, you know, measured up to the test. It didn't look good early on, really through three-and-a-half quarters. But the Penn State defense folded a little bit, and the offense fell off, and that gave Dwayne Haskins just a little bit of an opening that he needed, and he cashed it in. So... This moves Penn State up in the rankings big time. So now they're going to be, I think, number two behind Alabama. So, you know, just your analysis, what you saw of this game. This is a really good game. I mean, it sucks that Penn State lost because um, their quarterback uh, really put on a show. Um, you know, we said that their quarterback and their receivers would be the ones to keep them in the game. And uh, and and he definitely, McSorley, he definitely was doing his thing, but he fell just short. Yeah, it's unfortunate for Penn State, and you know, it isn't even, it's not even the fact that they faltered; they just straight collapsed. And the sad part about it is, you know, it's one of those things where this isn't the uh, first time this has happened. In the last three games in the series on both sides, really, Penn State the last two years, including this one, uh, they've had double digit lead in the fourth, and they could not hold on to it. So. Uh, it's a very tough loss for the Nittany Lions. A great win for the Buckeyes. Uh, when you find a way to win, you take advantage of it. Haskins balled out in the fourth quarter. You know, very composed in the fourth, very cool. You know, and and just shows that you know as long as you have a good signal caller, someone who's you know able to make the big plays under pressure situations i mean hostile environment over a hundred thousand in a whiteout you know and you're able to not only engineer you know one fourth quarter drive but two to put them on half for good it's pretty remarkable we'll shift the scene up to syracuse where clemson had to hold on come from behind to beat syracuse 27 to 23 Trevor Lawrence suffers a concussion in his first career start, 
but the third stringer, Travis, I can't even say his last name. Is that Inete? I think so. I'm, I'm going to check. Yeah, I haven't haven't heard it pronounced. But, yeah, the third string quarterback comes off the bench, leads a drive, gets Clemson ahead. The defense holds up for him. So, you know, man, it's just funny how things work. The irony of these situations where Kelly Bryant says, I'm out because Trevor Lawrence took my starting job, and bam, he gets hit, and now they're down to their third string quarterback. So uh, Syracuse, uh, Syracuse really put up a great effort. Clemson dodges a bullet. This has kind of been a bugaboo place for them the past couple of years, but they escaped this time. So um, I know Dabo's just wiping his forehead. But what did you think about the effort that Syracuse gave? And, uh, you know, they're maybe turning their program around up there. Syracuse is definitely one of those teams that is a program to watch. They're a program on the rise, a program that – has been given a lot of these um, higher ACC teams a run for the money. And I think in in a few uh, years, maybe even sooner, this team is going to be uh, back to problems, back to, you know, where they were in the days of McNabb. So um, very, very impressive. Uh, you know, we've seen Syracuse get Florida State a scare. We've seen good Miami several scares over the years, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech. And so, you know, it's going to be uh, – the carry Dome's going to be more than just, you know, a basketball venue once again. It's going to be a nice little – he's going to have a good football atmosphere once again as well. Uh, Shout-out to Syracuse. I think had they had just a little more experience, they probably would have been able to pull off this win, but a very ironic situation, you know, with the whole Kelly Bryant situation and Trevor Lawrence gets hurt after getting the job and, you know, it's kind of like, hey, Kelly, you want to come back? It's like, yeah, about that now. So, I don't think Kelly Bryant, you want to come back under those circumstances, you know, you, you always hate to come in, you know, at somebody else's expense due to an injury. You want to kind of outperform them and earn the job. Uh, but, you know, the third-string quarterback for Clemson, he did he did what he had to do in terms of getting the, in terms of getting the uh, win for for this team and, you know, for this program, keep them in the uh, hunt for the college football playoffs and for the national title picture. But what's going to happen on the road, I don't know. Uh, but we'll just have to wait and see what happens in that regard there. We'll shift the scene over to South Bend, Indiana, where Ian Brooks throws four touchdowns. Notre Dame's defense only allows three second-half points, and the Irish defeat Stanford 38-17. Um, this Notre Dame team might be for real. That defense is pretty, pretty good. Bryce Love got you know a long touchdown run, and then they made um, another drive to tie it up at 14. And then after that, man, Notre Dame just went on a streak. So I know you're not you're not really fond of Notre Dame and you know what they got going on for the you know with their coach and everything. But I think they might be a real player this year if they don't you know have one of these games where they get too full of themselves and slip up. I definitely have to agree with you, and yeah, this isn't what I envisioned, but um, it is what it is. 
And Notre Dame is just a good football team. Now, this defense in Notre Dame is pretty pretty stout, pretty um, formidable. And then, you know, now you got the offense complementing the uh, defense complementing the offense, really, I think. For a long for a long time it was the other way around, but now you got you got the both sides of the ball playing very well and and I gotta agree with you, Don, even though you know you know, I'm not the fondest of Notre Dame supporters or you know, let's just be real, I do not like them, but I do respect the fact that you know they they got they got it going on. Credit is due to what Brian Kelly is doing. I really did not think he would be able to continue to get the job done, but he has. So you know, we'll just have to see how the rest of the season plays out and if they can end up cracking the top four. But they've you know they've played some tough squads and they've beat them all, so they're passing the test. And you know, eventually you got to. Move these guys up into the top four. Next up, we'll talk about Will Greer. Three touchdown passes as he leads West Virginia narrowly past Texas Tech 42 to 30, uh, 34. It was uh, actually a one score game there. It was a little bit farther out than it actually seemed at the end because Texas Tech made a, a, a rally there. But the damage was done early in the first half and the first quarter, really. Uh, West Virginia jumped out and Texas Tech was playing catch up for the rest of the game. So Will Greer, you know, I don't know. He could be the next product of, you know, just a great offense where, you know, they're just taking advantage of people who can't run with these guys. Or is he really somebody that you could look at and at the next level? Because this is going to be his last year in college. Do you think that he can maybe be a uh, number one pick type of guy? Well, I've been following Will Greer since his days in Charlotte, in the high school scene in Charlotte. So um, even when he was at Florida, he, you know, he was a very effective quarterback before he got into the ordeals he went through. But, you know, he's learned from it. And, and even though West Virginia is one of those offensive juggernauts with every team in the Big 12, except for couple squads seem to be an offensive juggernaut anyway, but I do think that he is a good player, a good quarterback. I don't, he may, may not be like a um, first or second round pick, but he might have a good solid career as a backup, or he might even flourish in someone's training camp and earn the starting job. Uh, This depends on who, what, system he gets into in the pros, but I definitely have been a fan of Will Greer's. I've been able to, um, you know, see him in person a couple times, and then uh, but seeing him go do what he's doing at West Virginia um, has been a remarkable thing. I did say at the start of the season, West Virginia would be one of those teams in the Big 12 to watch out for, and Right now they're proving it. Of course, I think towards the end of the season they got that they got the true test when they got to play the Oklahomas, the TCUs, and the Texas the Texas squads uh, towards the end of the season. So as long as they don't slip up along the way, uh, they should be 
they should be in that mix as well. They're already in the top 10. They cracked the top 10 now. So uh, we'll see what happens from there. I'll just make this quick point about Will Greer and his future at the next level. If Patrick Mahomes doesn't flame out in the second half of this NFL season, you're going to see a whole bunch of teams be like, okay, let's go get us one of these air raid quarterbacks because golf is starting to do his thing. And you see more and more people starting to embrace the spread. Like Andy Reid has kind of figured it out like, oh, yeah, since they play this way in college, let's just figure out how to make it work here in the NFL. And he doesn't have to learn as much and he can be good a lot faster. Agreed. And I think also, you know, and that's a, and that was a big adjustment for Andy Reid. I mean, you got to think about it. He's been a West Coast guy for over almost 30 years. So, uh, you know, so, but I think also he started to air it out a little bit with Alex Smith uh, because of the weapons he has. And I think now you got an air raid quarterback, uh, the spread offense uh, that Mahomes is used to. Plus, you got a whole lot of speed with Hill and Watkins. So, yeah, and then these kind of quarterbacks and even Trubisky. I mean, look what look what Trubisky did this Sunday, and we're going to talk about it later on, I hope. But um, that's definitely could be the the trend of, of the next level. Um, you know, a lot of people might be looking at Big 12 quarterbacks a lot more. Uh, not just Will Greer, but Kyler Murray, if Kyler Murray doesn't sign to play baseball, uh, from Oklahoma. That's definitely someone to look out for. And, and yeah, it's definitely something I could definitely see trending. And, and then we'll go from there. So This is Know the Score. I'm the host, Don DeLorente, and I'm here with my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne. We just wrapped up what happened last week in college football. So now we're going to talk about what's coming up as top 25 matchups. We only have three this week, but we get some rivalry games to start off as we have number 19, Texas, headed into the Red River rivalry against number seven, Oklahoma. So you were talking about Kyler Murray. He's going to get a chance to go against this it looks to be new and improved Texas defense. But, I mean, he's been putting, you know, NCAA college football numbers on people. That's Kyler Murray, that is. They scored 66 points in the game that he didn't even start because he had some, quote, unquote, discipline issues. But, uh, you know, kind of kind of forecasting this, you know, Texas has won four in a row now as they, as they won again last week. So, you know, they're feeling good about themselves. Oklahoma's undefeated. They just laid a whooping on Baylor, 66 to 33. So, you know, this is going to be, you know, two teams that are riding pretty high coming in. Rivalry game, of course. You know, Texas State Fair. Let me know what you feel about Oklahoma's chances to remain undefeated or does Texas, you know, Tom Herman establish himself right here in this game? Well, I think Tom Herman's going to have to wait a little, one more year in this uh, rivalry. I think, I think uh, Oklahoma will win this game. I just love the game of Kyler Murray, and I love uh, the ability to, for him to not just run with the ball, but get the ball down the field. 
Texas has had some really good games as of late. They put together a very good string of games as of late in the last few weeks, but I think reality's going to set in a little bit for them, and they just got it'll just they just have to wait um, one more year before I think Texas kind of turns the tide in the rivalry. But you never know if if they can contain those receivers and force Kyler to run to more than pass and for his game, obviously, then, you know, Texas will have a chance to win. But I think Oklahoma's got too much on offense to overwhelm. That's going to overwhelm that defense. Our next top 25 matchup has number five, LSU, quietly number five, LSU, going into the swamp to face number 22, Florida. So, like I said, LSU's been kind of under the radar. They're getting some good quarterback play. They're running the ball, and of course, we know what they do on defense. Florida's rejuvenated here with Dan Mullen. Uh, He won the Dan Mullen Bowl last week against Mississippi State. So, you know, they're feeling good about themselves. So, um, can Florida use the home crowd and, you know, Dan Mullen's creativity on offense to maybe do some trickeration and get past LSU? I think, I think LSU is going to go for a Florida sweep. They already beat Miami earlier in the season in Texas, and they're going to go to the swamp and get a road win against Florida. Um, I wasn't really too high on LSU. Um, I wasn't too high on LSU before, but, you know, I definitely I definitely am now. Um, they made me a believer in the first week of the season against against um, against Miami. So I definitely think LSU can get the W and uh, go forward. Our final top 25 matchup comes from Blacksburg, Virginia. As number six, Notre Dame will travel up to number 24, Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech bounced back last week against Duke. You knew they would after getting embarrassed and, you know, kind of caught off guard by Old Dominion. So, you know, Notre Dame's going to get a chance to put that defense to the test on the road. Uh, Ian Brooks is going to, Ian Brooks, excuse me, is going to have to try to, you know, navigate that hostile environment and that crowd. So do you think Notre Dame can come out of Blacksburg unscathed or does Virginia Tech put together two good games in a row? Uh, that's a good question. So I think that I've, I've been against Notre Dame the last few weeks. I'm going to go with Notre Dame this time. Um, if you can't beat them, join them. I guess that's my logic for the week here. So, um, and quite frankly, I can't trust Virginia Tech probably for the rest of the season, even if they were to run the table. I mean, you lost the Old Dominion. That kind of just doesn't sit well with me personally. But um, let's just say that Notre Dame, they've proven themselves. They've had a lot of they've had a lot more quality matchups 
then Virginia Tech. I think that 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 pays off. All right, so you know that was a college football wrap up. Now we're going to shift the scene over to Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball playoffs. But before we could get to the playoffs, something very very rare and interesting happened. We had two game 163s as the Brewers and the Cubs faced off in their tiebreaker game for the NL Central and the Dodgers and Rockies also faced off in a tiebreaker game to determine the champion of the National League West. So the Brewers behind likely MVP, almost triple crown winner Christian Yelich defeated the Cubs in their tiebreaker game to win the NL Central. The Dodgers jumped out early at home and they defeated the Rockies to win the NL West. So that sets up the Rockies versus the Cubs in the NL wildcard matchup. So both teams are coming into this game. The Rockies and Cubs coming off losses, but they still get to play another day. So they're in playoff mode. So, you know, unfortunately, what happens in these type of games are you're going to have like relievers and kind of end of the rotation guys starting. And you're probably not going to see the best pitched game, but you might see a lot of offense. So it's in Chicago late in the year here. I don't know if it's gotten cold in Chicago or how the wind's going to blow. But if you had to take a guess, one game on the line, Rockies versus the Cubs, who are you going with, Dwayne? Who you got? Do you want my fan pick or my my journalist pick? Man, you do <laughs> both, whatever you like. <laughs> However you answer, that's up to you. All right. So let's 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 first I already well, because the Rockies are playing the Dodgers, I jumped on the Rocky bandwagon. Wanted them to win the NL West. So I had to be in this one day situation and it was, in a perfect world, it would have been nice if the Dodgers and Cubs would just have one game to play off and the loser goes home, but it is what it is. So, um, the Cubs are going with John Lester tonight, um, uh, to start this game. So they're, they're putting all their marbles in John Lester's hands and, and, um, so, you know, and in this situation, is you do want to put the uh, ace in here, and then you know you got Kyle Freeland on the other side for the Rockies. And I'm going to say this: it's going to be one of those games where it's going to come down to hitting. Um, I think the pitching is going to be well. I don't. I think the winds in Chicago might make the ball fly out a little bit more or carry, carry some of these fly balls out the park. It would be nice to see that, but um, I want to say I want the Rockies to win. But I think the Cubs, because of the experience, I think, I think Lester is the better pitcher out of the two. And, you know, usually in October you got to have phenomenal pitching, and I think he fits that bill. I do hope the Rockies win. Um, you know, it's always good to see somebody um, newer in the playoffs. I mean, yeah, we were 
all for the Cubs when they won two years ago because they ended that historically long drought. But, you know, it's always good to see somebody else win. It's good to see the Astros win last year. Uh, it'd be good to see somebody else, you know, keep that variety going. A really sneaky thing is that game uh, yesterday was actually played in Chicago. So the Cubs don't have to travel anywhere. The Rockies had to play in uh, L.A. So then they had to leave that game and then fly to Chicago to play this NL wildcard game. So the travel situation may actually be more the thing that the Rockies fight more than the actual Cubs on the field. So I don't know how much juice they're going to have in the early innings of this game, but we'll see. Over in the American League, the American League wildcard game pits the Yankees, who had some injuries, you know, towards the second half of the season, especially to Aaron Judge. He missed a lot of the second half. They're pitching, you know, suffered some injuries as well. Going against the upstart. Oakland A's behind home run leader Chris Davis. Another scrappy bunch of young kids who, you know, just played hard, didn't start well, but that's not how you start. It's how you finish in baseball. They've got the home field advantage against these Yankees. So can the Oakland A's, shout out to Nick Jew, continue this summer of just, you know, we're not supposed to be here, but since we are here, we're just going to continue the party. Well, this game's actually at Yankee Stadium. That's at Yankees? Uh, yeah, it's at, it's at Yankee Stadium. Um, okay, so I want to, but I'm going to root for the A's in this one. Um, anybody knows, I mean, I'm a Mets fan, so I'm about to follow going for the A's in this one. Um, um, no pinstripe pride over here, so. Um, but I think the A's are that scrappy bunch. The Yankees, they they showed up pretty early last year when they had the seven-game uh, war against the Astros in the ALCS a year ago, and they are they are getting healthy at the right time. Um, I just think that I I just think that um, I don't know how healthy they actually are in order to you know pull this pull this game off so I want to go with the A's on this one only because A, I don't like the Yankees and B anytime anytime you got um, one of the top home run hitters in the league in a home run hitting park that's definitely a something that I want to watch and hopefully we can see uh, but nothing like October baseball wherever these places are, you know, whether it's Wrigley, whether it's Yankee Stadium, um, it's always fun to fun to see these crowds and see these players put on live, especially the wild card game. I mean, some people aren't a fan of it. I like it, you know, only because you see so much be put on the line for one game because it's all about survival. I'm in the minority. I'm in the I'm in the camp that wants it just to be a series. Make it a three game series, man. Just you know, baseball is meant to be played days in a row, not just one game. Only in game seven, 
So I just don't like the fact that it's just like, bam, like, here we go. One game like oh, that's not how we play baseball all season. But OK, it adds a lot of drama to it. But, you know, they could work it out where they could, you know, make more money if they wanted to. But I guess they haven't come to that realization yet. Now, sitting at home awaiting the winner of the wildcard games, we have the Brewers who will await the winners of the Rockies and the Cubs matchup in the National League. And we have the Red Sox who will await the winner of the Yankees and the A's wildcard game in the American League. So that puts those two teams basically as your number one seeds in this year's MLB playoffs. Do you think the Brewers and the Red Sox will match up? in this year's World Series? No, I think one team will be there, and it's the Boston Red Sox. Uh, I think the Brewers are going to be there. They're going to go to LCS maybe, but they're going to probably be ousted by the Dodgers. So you've alluded to the Dodgers. They're going to be facing off against the Atlanta Braves. So the Atlanta Braves are back in the playoffs for the first time in many, many years. Uh, the, the upstart, Ron Acuna Jr., the pitching staff, Freddie Freeman, um, Ozzy, uh, uh, what's his name? What's his last name? Albies. Yeah, yeah, that's my man, little guy. Um, you know, they've got the um, Braves back in the playoffs against the Dodgers, who, you know, a lot of people figure would have a much better season, but, you know, they had some injuries, and so they've kind of limped their way into the playoffs, but they're here. They survived the um, National League West this year. So you already said that you feel like the Dodgers are going to move on in this series. And the in the American League, we have uh, the Indians, who've been on cruise control pretty much since the quarter pole of the season, facing off against last year's defending World Series champions, the Houston Astros. So the Astros have suffered some injuries in the second half of the season to some of their uh, bats in the lineup. The Indians, like I said, they haven't really played a meaningful baseball game since before the All-Star break, so I don't really know how battle-tested they truly are. Um, So give me your temperature on the Indians and the Astros. Who do you think is going to come out victorious in that series? The last two ALCS winners, and yeah, because the AL Central was pretty much awful. It was a cakewalk for the Indians, but I think the Astros are a little more battle tested, and you know it's, it's going to be more rest versus rust for the Indians, and we'll just have to see how that goes. I think the Astros and Sox are going to play, and I think the Sox are going to escape out of that ALCS. All right. This episode of Another Score is being brought to you by Patreon.com, specifically www.patreon.com forward slash CSPN Media. Go over to our Patreon page, become a backstage member, and gain access to exclusive podcasts, videos, and more from all of your favorite podcasts here on the CSPN. So if you're into NASCAR. I got some really cool footage up, my video interview with Ross Chastain. I've also got some very candid interview uh, footage of Dale Earnhardt Jr. fresh out of the car after he got done with all the television interviews. He gave, you know, us little peons 
an interview there on uh, Pit Road and, uh, you know, some really interesting comments from him. So go ahead over to patreon.com forward slash CSPN Media. Become a CSPN Backstage member. Gain access to that. Support the podcast. Become a CSPN patron. And we'll greatly appreciate your support. Hey, 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 it's your girl, So So Lovely. And your girl, Deja Ali. And we are the hosts of the Bad and Boozy podcast. Join us every Wine Crush Wednesday as we discuss wine, life, and other liquor-related shenanigans. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bad and Boozy Pod. And send your drunken wine hotels to badandboozypodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, the best wine... Is the one you like. So now it's time to talk about the National Football League. And we'll start off with the Thursday night game. One of the best Thursday night games we've had since they started this little, you know, venture, you know, more than like four, about four years ago now, it seems like, where we had Jared Goff and the Rams outduel Kirk Cousins and the Vikings 38 to 31, both quarterbacks. Over 400 yards, no interceptions. But again, Kirk Cousins fumbles in the pocket in the crucial moments with a quick rush by the Rams defensive line, and that's the side of the game. So this was a coming-out party for Jared Goff, Sean McVay, the Rams offense. The defense really didn't show a lot, but they came up big when they had to. So now, does this squarely put the spotlight on the St. on excuse me, the St. Louis Rams. I'm old school on the Los Angeles Rams. Got to get even more old school as the team to beat in the NFL this year. It does. Uh, this team is a juggernaut and it's going to be, they're going to be one tough out in the playoffs. Um, the only team in the NFC West that has a remote chance of competing with them are the Seattle Seahawks, but we don't know how that's going to go considering the state of their defense and the offense that's not really all that great, not like really impressing anybody, especially their lack of run game. Uh, but the Rams, they got complete support on all sides of the ball. You got Jared Goff launching the ball all over the field. You got Todd Gurley, who's a touchdown machine. Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks, Cooper Cup, um, Tyler Higbee at tight end. A great offensive line, which allows all these plays to happen. And then, you know, even though the defense wasn't all that great this week with the uh, uh, against the Vikings, um, it's still still got a lot of big names there, and so yeah, I think the Rams are the um, heavy favorite. They've they've proven it time and time again. Um, that first playoff loss last year to the Falcons kind of woke them up a little bit. So it's like you know, what are we going to do to improve this team and and they're they're well on their way to um, great success, um, barring any injuries. I've gone on record on this show a lot of times and said that Sean McVay will go down in the Washington football team's 
lore in history as the coach that got away. That's the guy right there, man. He is so good. He was the man behind Kirk Cousins. Now he's the man behind Jared Goff. And, you know, he's the head coach now. And he's getting to do everything he wants to do. And uh, he may be the next, like, you know, Bill Walsh for this generation of coaches because he's so young and he's so innovative. And uh, he's got a quarterback right now that he's in tune with. I don't know how long they're going to have him or how long they're going to be able to kind of keep this up because the quarterback's on a team-friendly deal. But when the quarterback wants to get paid and he has to do this with not as much help on defense or not a good offensive line or, you know, an aging Todd Gurley, we'll really see how good his coaching really is. But right now, while these boys are in their prime, yeah, Sean McVay is uh, – him and Andy Reid may make for a very interesting Super Bowl if this all plays out to those two teams matching up. Absolutely, it will be a good. Um, it'll be a good former I seventy ball. <laughs> it'll be like a college football game, and that may actually be the best thing that ever happened to a the quarterbacks in college and b the product quote unquote on the field. Agreed, and you know. Might as well just make it a seven-on-seven kind of game. So, you know, just, you know, be one of those games. So whoever has the last position might likely be coming out as the winner at one of the biggest games in the ultimate prize. Speaking of pulling it out, the team who has the ball with the last possession, the Cincinnati Bengals get a late touchdown pass from um, my man, the Red Rifle, Andy Dalton to A.J. Green. Thank you for the fancy points to give the Falcons their second straight loss in heartbreaking fashion. Of course, they, you know, lost to the Saints at home when Drew Brees got them, you know, in overtime when they drove down and he got the uh, touchdown over the top. So the Bengals, you know, they bounced back from that loss to Carolina the week before and they send the Falcons on a really a skid. I think they're one in three. Um, they're not really looking good on defense at all. And uh, I know that makes you feel good uh, because the team that you root for had a bye week, so they gained actually positions without even, you know, playing a game. So, right. you know, uh, first of all, just talk about, you know, the Bengals look like that they actually may be the class of their division this year. Um, you know, we're going to talk about what's going on with the Steelers. They're struggling a little bit. But, uh, you know, first the Bengals, you know, what they're doing and, and how you feel about them, and then you can get more into the Falcons. Well, I, I mean, first off, the Bengals did get a serious blow when Tyler Eifert went down with a broken ankle, done for the season. Um, and then I, I like – I really do like the, the Bengals. You know, they – they didn't have – they hung in there with Carolina, but um, they kind of got caught in the in that um, that front seven, kind of got to Andy Dalton a lot, was forced to throw a couple interceptions. Uh, well, four of them, two of them were really more in garbage time. But the, the this game here, I mean, you had a lot. It was really come down to – you know, who got the ball last. And Andy Dalton had more time on the clock, and he made the most of it. Um, and, you know, you got A.J. Green, you got Tyler Boyd. Looks like Gio Bernard is 
holding down that running back spot until Joe Mixon comes back. Um, yeah, if as long as they they don't beat themselves, the Bengals are really the class of the NFC North. I mean, you still got to worry about the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, they still look they still look like a uh, team on the rebound from a disappointing season a year ago. Um, you know, we'll touch on the Steelers and the Browns in a little bit. But, you know, if I really comes down to it, unless the Steelers get it together, it's um, a race. I think it's going to come down to the Bengals and Ravens uh, dueling now for the AFC North. Um, on the Falcons side of things, they've had a lot of injuries, and it's really starting to mount up. And that that's one of the things that kind of plagued the Panthers a little bit. They had injuries, but they didn't have the depth to – make up for it and right now um like they've got they've lost two safeties they've lost their nose tackled lost one of their top pass rushers um and and um their top running back is out too uh freeman and so they're really a bad carolina panthers game away from zero and four if we really want to be frank about it the panthers probably had their worst game of the season of the three games they played before their bye week. The worst game was against the Falcons where they had the lead, but they coughed it up and let the let Tevin Coleman and Edo Smith just gash them on the ground. And you know, even though Calvin Ridley's having a breakout party right now, it's like one of the bright spots in this low-light situation. But at one and three, looking up at the rest of the division, and they got the they lost the tiebreaker with New Orleans, so it's virtually a three game. They're traveling the division by three games. Uh, it's not looking good for um, the birds in ATL. Next up, we'll shift the scene over to Mitchell Trubisky. He throws for six, count them six touchdown passes. That's obviously a career high. In his second NFL career uh, year in the NFL, excuse me, as the Bears also made you smile as they defeated the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Dwayne, 48 to 10. Mitchell Trubisky has five touchdowns in the first half, count them five in the first half. Um, Nagy really did a number on them with Tariq Cohen kind of in the Tariq Hill role. And uh, this, this really looked a lot like uh, Kansas City North. Absolutely, and this is what I was trying to tell people about the Chicago Bears. Didn't I say this, Don? Did I not say this? Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Jade. How you doing? But, uh, no, seriously. I I knew once they got a offensive-minded coach, Trubisky would begin to develop into a better quarterback. And he got out the clutches of the purgatory known as John Fox. You get the offense. So this is what this is really what can happen on a regular, on a weekly basis if things start if the chips fall as they may. Um, we could have a Kansas City North absolutely, um, and let's not uh, let's not just say it's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because the Buccaneers have had some good defensive moments prior to this uh, game, and they came into a one. 
Um, and so this is definitely what this team was looking for uh, when they drafted Trubisky, when they hired Nagy. This is what this is what they wanted. And now the Bears are at three and one, first place in the NFC North by the widest of margins right now because everybody else in the division is below 500. So, um, shout out to the Bears. Um, and even you got an MVP in Khalil Mack. So, this team is really a team to watch out for. If they can keep it up, they might run away with the NFC North. Speaking of running away, we'll talk about briefly the Patriots dismantled the Dolphins 38-7. to Moving on. The Browns, they were on the wrong end of two calls and their 45-42 to loss in overtime to the Raiders. Oh, man. Talk about the replay doing you in when it's supposed to actually confirm what you saw. Uh, the Browns had a look like a scoop and score off a fumble re, uh, reversed by replay and then what looked like a clear first down at the end of the game in the two-minute warning that would basically, you know, allow them to take some knees and run the clock out, gets called a first down on the field, then the replay booth reverses the spot, the Browns kick field goal, the next thing you know, the Raiders go down with no timeouts, two minutes to go, get a touchdown, two-point conversion, we have overtime, and then we get the Raiders kicking a field goal to win in overtime, so... The Browns literally are like, you know, a handful, four or five plays away from being 4-0 this year. But instead, the Raiders and John Gruden gets his first win in 10 years or more as a head coach in the NFL. So, Dwayne, just, you know, talk about the craziness and, and how you perceived what happened to the Browns in this game. Um, you know, one call is, is bad, but, man, two calls, that's just incredible to happen to one team. And out of all the teams that it happens to, it just would have to be the Cleveland Browns. And when it comes to bad luck, that's so Cleveland. That's really what it boils down to. If it wouldn't happen to any other team but the Cleveland Browns. And all this bad luck would not happen to any other team but the Cleveland Browns. It's it's astounding that this team is a missed field goal, several miss, yeah, a couple missed field goals, a couple missed extra points, um, two replay calls. Yeah, like I said, a handful of incidents from being four and zero. Any other team would be four and zero right about now, but because it's the Cleveland Browns. They're stuck in one, two, and one. And I don't know how this is. It's got to take a toll on, you know, the staff, the, the front office, the fans. It's, it's, you got to wonder how do you, how do you deal with this kind of adversity? Like, but. It's one of those things, and I'm just trying to figure. I'm trying to do the math here. Um, thing with Hugh Jackson is now what two thirty three and one in this era as the Browns head coach. 
that one's a one and fifteen, zero and sixteen, and then one two and one. Yeah, two thirty three and one, and in all actuality, he should at least be five and thirty one at this point. So, um, it, it's those calls just boil down to the fact that it's it's just the hard luck of the Cleveland Browns and. When will it end? Nobody knows, but the football gods themselves. Sunday Night Football brought us the Ravens and the Steelers. AFC North battle. Always a hard-hitting affair. Joe Flacco jumped out early with two touchdown passes to give the Ravens an early lead. They never looked back. They beat the Steelers 26-14. to Ben Roethlisberger, uh, he was pretty pedestrian in this game. Uh, he's having a hard time getting the ball out to all those weapons that they've got. Pittsburgh's defense, their secondary especially, has a lot of holes and a lot of cracks in it that people are starting to expose because you can throw deep on Pittsburgh and uh, people are really challenging them. So the Ravens and Joe Flacco look like that they're poised to make a run this year. I know you already said that you think the AFC North may come down to the Ravens and the Bengals. So we'll focus on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Are we seeing the end of the Ben Roethlisberger era? I would say at this very moment, yes. But with Le'Veon Bell coming back, it may not be over just yet. It might be, might have a last stand of Roethlisberger. But as much as James Conner has done, you know, I love the story, love the fight this kid has. Um, he's just not the dynamic back that that uh, Le'Veon Bell is, and it's really apparent how much um, he's missed on that team. And, you know, camp at the end of the day, you know, it sucks for his teammates that they're going out here each week and performing, and he's at home, but you also got to figure he's also protecting himself. Um, well, we'll touch on that in just a moment anyway, but um, back to the Big Ben thing. Um, it probably might be the end of the of an era. I mean, we've been saying that, you know, he's been a lot slower. We've seen the injuries pile up over the years, but now that you know, they're virtually one-dimensional on offense. It's not as productive as they once were. And, and you got guys who are not running the ball as effectively. I mean, Connor had a good week one, but what has he done since? Uh, with Steven Ridley, who's supposed to be the backup. Um, we, just, we just don't know what is being brought to the table right now and and um, whenever, once um, a certain somebody comes back, we'll see if this dealer team can rally it and go to the uh, postseason. We'll wrap it up with the NFL review with Monday Night Football. Patrick Mahomes, the legend, continues. He erased a 10-point fourth-quarter deficit to lead the Chiefs over the Broncos in mile high, 27-23. to 23. So, you know, he got harassed. 
He, you know, Von Miller got him to the ground a couple of times. He was running for his life a few times. But when you put the money on the table, Patrick Mahomes came up with the aces and he led them back. Very impressive. You know, that was a game that you thought that maybe, you know, 10 point lead, fourth quarter, that defense at home, you know, that the storybook start was going to end, but it didn't. So, you know, what does this say for Patrick Mahomes going forward, man? I mean, it looks like the sky's the limit for this uh, this kid. He could be rookie of the year, MVP, offensive player of the year. All the trophies could be his. Absolutely. I mean, this uh, what he's done. He's already, you know, created quite a resume. He's already rewritten the record books early on, and in this first quarter of the season, he definitely will be the MVP of the of um, the league. Uh, he would definitely rack up these awards and everything. Um, I just think that you know one of those things is kind of like how long can he sustain this? Can he sustain this all season long? When's the bad game going to happen? Who's it going to come up against? But let's just enjoy the ride for what it's worth right now. It's very, very entertaining. Um, the Chiefs are having fun. This Kansas City's having fun. Andy Reid is, you know, rejuvenated as a coach. This has been a great story, and, you know, he just wanted to continue. And, and you know, he just lets the play do his talking, and, and go from there. So, shout out to Patrick Mahomes. Uh, looked like Denver was going to be the team to knock off Kansas City. Um, they played a very well game. Uh, uh, can only imagine what would have happened if that hook and lateral would have worked at the end of the game. But, um, you know, a rivalry game between two AFC West foes. And it came down to the very end and just got to give the Chiefs a lot of credit and a great win for them. We'll turn to some NFL news. Unfortunately, this is mostly the injury report on this part of the show. As Earl Thomas fractured his leg again in a win over Arizona. Um, Of course, Earl Thomas has been, you know, very vocal about not wanting to put his body at risk for the, you know, playing a football without more years guaranteed on his contract and getting a larger sum of money to do so. So, you know, there had been a lot of talk about him missing practices and why he was missing practices. And he was basically saying, hey, I'm trying to save the wear and tear on my body, you know, less risk for injuries, don't not take this unnecessary pounding during the week so I can be fresh for the game because, you know, I still ain't got no contract after this year. And then the very next game, man, he fractures his leg. So he let everybody know how he felt about that as he flipped the Seattle sideline to Bird, mostly Pete Carroll, because that's the man who's holding his money. So it looks like with this injury right here, we already knew that it was, you know, near the closing scene. But this is the officially the credits on the Legion of Boom era. 
of the Seattle Seahawks. So, you know, talk about Earl Thomas's impact, just, you know, what he meant to Seattle, what he's meant for that position that he played and, you know, how he revolutionized what a cover three defense could be and look like. One of the best um, in this, definitely one of the best Seahawks ever put on their uniform for that franchise. Um, yeah, grand opening, grand closing. It's grand closing on this era, this defense as we know it. Um, Sherman gone, Browner gone, Maxwell gone. He might have came back, but he's not the same. Um, Chancellor gone. Yeah, Earl Thomas definitely want definitely, you know, re redefined the uh, free safety position, especially in that uh, formation, and and he wanted to be invested in. He did. It's not the fact that he wanted to leave Seattle. He wanted a longer deal uh, that the Seahawks were not willing to give him, and they wanted a trade that he never got. And, you know, then this happens and, and, um, you know, it's just, it's really bad when, you know, a player tries to invest in himself and, you know, bet on, invest in himself, wants to be paid what he's worth and he's not getting that compensation. You know, it's understandable why he would want to take, you know, not risk his body as much as he would. I mean, if you're going to pay him what he's worth, then he'll go full full speed ahead. We've seen that over the years when he played out his contract, and we've seen that over the years when, you know, he was always on the injury report because of the style of play that he had. But um, even when he protected himself, this happened, and it's very unfortunate, and, I don't blame him for, you know, flipping the bird to Carroll in the Seattle bench because this is what happens when you don't invest in somebody. Rob Gronkowski left the game versus the Dolphins with a bad ankle. Um, so we'll see what he looks like later on this week when they begin practice again, what his status would look like uh, for their next game coming up, which is a short week for them to play the Thursday night game. So, Gronk may be out of this one if that ankle's too bad. Uh, like you talked about earlier, Tyler Eifert, he suffered a broken ankle. This is the third season in a row that he suffered a season-ending injury. So um, I don't know if he's going to try to come back after this one again. This may be a career for him. Um, but that's just unfortunate for him. You know, they did everything they could to try to, you know, uh, prevent his wear and tear as well through training camp and practices and, and still, you know, something like this happens for him. So um, hopefully he recovers and, uh, you know, just has a good quality of life going forward. And uh, the big bombshell that dropped was that Le'Veon Bell says that he plans to report to the Steelers around week seven, week eight, conveniently right around the bye week. So pick up a check for not really, you know, doing anything. Hey, that's the American way. And then, you know, get yourself set. Gives him two weeks to kind of, you know, get back into the playbook and the schemes and everything like that. So uh, talk about Le'Veon Bell. He looks like that, you know, he's he's no fool. You know, he's going to come in there and get his tender, sign his tender for the uh, um, um, franchise player, you know, collect his wages and, you know, for half a season and then, you know, move on to free agency where he hopes to cash in. 
So how does this, one, affect the Steelers on the field, and B, how does this affect Le'Veon Bell and negotiations going forward? Well, it affects the Steelers because they got they got a, their star running back back. Um, they become less one-dimensional, and that allows uh, Ben Roethlisberger to get those receiving weapons like Smith-Schuster and, most importantly, Antonio Brown. The catches that they deserve. Um, it helps my fantasy team personally because I've been struggling without him. And so I'm very, very glad for that. Once we do that, it'll be great. I will, um, I will, um, say this for him personally. I think that whatever he does in his, um, 10, 11 games or so, um, Whatever he does in these 10, 11 games uh, going forward, it may, you know, help him get the money that he deserves from a team that really needs a back, i.e. the Colts. Um, it should be uh, very interesting for the Steelers going forward. Um, the Earl Thomas injury is kind of one of the main reasons why Le'Veon Bell has been holding out because, you know, you want that guarantee investment. You want that. You want the money. You want to be compensated for what you have produced, and you want to be paid your worth, and a lot more understanding for for this uh, team. Yeah, hopefully, you know, he doesn't get injured. Hopefully, you know, he um, can avoid the injury bug, doesn't pull a hamstring or something like that. You know, a lot of times these guys who hold out get these muscle injuries. So hopefully he can avoid that, stay healthy, and then, you know, rise up into, um, you know, free agency, you know, with his body pretty fresh. And like you said, somebody who needs to run it back will will give him what he deserves. So we'll wrap up the NFL talk with the Week 5 marquee matchups. We have two 3-1 teams, the Dolphins and the Bengals facing off against each other. We're also going to have the Jaguars taking their stab at slowing down Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And on Monday Night Football, my beloved Washington football team going to travel down to New Orleans to try to slow down Drew Brees and the Saints. So, uh, Dwayne, just kind of give a brief, um, you know, uh, which of those three games intrigues you the most and, um, you know, some you know some thoughts on, on the matchup that, that you're looking forward to. Uh, Jaguars cheese because of the contrasting styles. You got uh, the shutdown defense of Jacksonville against the uh, air assault that the Chiefs have put up. So will Jalen Ramsey be able to shut down Tyreek Hill, and will they be able to allow the rest of the defense to uh, shut down the other receiver threats on the Chiefs? As well as our, will we see then will we see Saxonville go into full effect, or will Patrick Mahomes neutralize that um, attack and be able to get the ball, continue his hot streak and get the ball down the field? Um, that's probably the best intriguing matchup of the week for me. Um, I also want to see how Washington comes off the bye week. Uh, against the Saints, and can they stop that run because Mark Ingram's coming back and and um, 
Yeah, Mark Ingram's coming back, and because of Mark Ingram coming back, you got the two-headed monster returning of him and Alvin Kamara. So uh, that's going to be very interesting to see how they can neutralize, how Washington can neutralize that attack. And will they have to force uh, Drew Brees to uh, make magic with the arm? I'll tell you exactly what to watch for in that Washington Saints game. Um, Look for how well the Washington football team is running the ball in the first quarter, first half. If Adrian Peterson, Chris Thompson, if they're, you know, maybe makes in a little bit of Alex Smith, if they're running the ball and they're getting to second and four, second and three a lot, because it looks like Jay Gruden's thing is just running on first down. Now, he may come off the bow. We can try to break some tendencies in this game. I don't know how well that's going to work. But if Adrian Peterson is running well in the first quarter, in the first half, the team through th- uh, three games has looked their best. So I don't see why that trend would not continue against the Saints. And that would also help to keep Drew Brees and those guys on the sideline. The more that they can chew up clock with the running game, make first downs through running the ball, and just make passes when they want to. Right, right. So those are the marquee matchups for week five like you as well i'm also very interested in watching the jaguars and the chiefs it'll be very interesting to see what kind of you know defensive game plan the jaguars come up with with that talent you know throughout the defense to try to slow down the chiefs but you know definitely a a great chess match offense versus defense so um you know we'll definitely see what happens on that one so, Dwayne, at this point, man, I'm going to open it up to you for your final thoughts, thank yous, and shout-outs. So, final thoughts. Um, you know, first, um, thank you, Don, for having me here as always. Thank you to the CSPN for the platform and the opportunities. Um, shout-out to my family. Shout-out to um, Jesse. Shout-out to the buyers. Uh, shout out to all of the listeners, all of the fellow podcast hosts on the CSPN. Much love. And most importantly, the listeners, I thank you for taking the time to hear me ramble and talk about sports. It's always a treat. Um, my final thought would have to be um, Gordon Hayward. Uh, it was really good to see Gordon Hayward on the court um, in the two games against the Hornets, just seeing seeing um, him make shots, run up and down the court um, after that gruesome ankle injury almost a year ago, opening night. Um, it's really good to see that, you know, the, the Celtics – back on the court in full effect. Kyrie's back. Hayward's back. And a very, very deep team in Boston. Uh, Looking forward to that. And then uh, my other final thought would have to just be, um, I kind of touched on it in the baseball segment, uh, how, you know, starts and finishes. And it kind of just reminded me how the New York Mets started out really good and flamed out in the middle of the season. But they finished strong. Um, and Jacob DeGrom, despite having a 10 and 9 record, the numbers that he put up all season long, uh, 32 quality starts, 
Uh, 31 consecutive starts, under three runs, a 1.7 ERA, 250-plus strikeouts um, on the season. Even though you might, if he had more run support from that team, he would probably be about 16-5 and five or so. But uh, definitely Cy Young material for you for Cy Young. I'm all in. All right, Dwayne, I'd like to give a shout-out to you for joining me, as always, this week. I'd like to give a shout-out to Nabias out there, who's getting ready to cover some playoff baseball. So we're going to try to touch base with him and get him on an upcoming show real soon to talk about the Braves and, and you know how they match up in the playoffs. I'd like to give a shout-out to Jesse out there. I'd like to give a shout-out to everybody here on CSPN. Give a shout-out to everybody who's supporting us and supporting our sponsors. Please visit our website, CSPN.us. Click on Keep Our Podcast. Uh, support our podcast and then click on that tab and then you know do whatever shopping you want through our sponsors please support our sponsors and help support CSPN um my final thought would be NASCAR they took a chance and uh, a racetrack that is a traditional track Charlotte Motor Speedway and uh, a track that they race on the oval two you know times a year uh, once in their playoff format they took a chance this year and uh, they introduced a new style of track called the Roval, which is basically a road course which uses parts of the oval track. And uh, it produced a great amount of suspense and drama as uh, leading up to this thing. They tore up a lot of race cars wrecking and trying to get navigate this track. But when it came time to put on the actual show, the best drivers in the world did what they did, man. And, and they just you know, basically up the stakes. It was a great show, a great race with a great finish. Jimmy Johnson in second, trying to get into not only the next round of the playoffs, but also win his first race of the season gets into the leader, Martin Truex Jr. They both wreck out just mere feet from the finish line and the third place driver, Ryan Blaney gets the win. He automatically qualifies to the next round of the playoffs. This was the elimination race of the first round of the playoffs and Jimmy Johnson with that bold move gets eliminated. He's one of the final four uh, competitors and points that doesn't move on to the next round. So not only did he not get the win, he also didn't get to continue on to try to win his record eighth championship. So a lot of drama, a lot of excitement, a lot of uh, unknown that really put on a great show. And like I said, the best drivers in the world, it didn't look like they were going to be able to, um, you know, have control of their cars and, and make this anything other than a wreck fest. But uh, they actually did more than that. So this looks like this will be something that will be back next year. And uh, I think I'll have to put in my request to go cover it because it was a lot of fun this year. So uh, good job to NASCAR. Uh, congratulations to Ryan Blaney. And uh, we'll, uh, you know, be looking forward to seeing the Robo come back again next year at Charlotte Motor Speedway. I'm Don DeLorente. I've been joined by my co-host, the Libra Icon. And now, you know the score.